Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. We've reached the end of 2022. To celebrate, we'll be reviewing some of my favorite moments from this year's episodes. There were so many that this will have to be a two-parter. Part 1 will highlight episodes 92 through 109, and next week, 110 through 126. Since we started working on this podcast almost three years ago, we've brought on a wide range of guests, including prominent self-advocates such as Dr. Temple Grandin, Dr. Stephen Shore, Dr. Carrie Magro, Rachel Barcelona, and Anthony Ayani. Parents like Tiffany Hammond and Bobby Rubio, some of our Global Autism Project partners, such as Yasser Al-Jaidi from Saudi Arabia and Pooja Panesser from Kenya, and other professionals in the field, such as Dr. Megan Miller from the Do Better Movement and Camille Proctor from The Color of Autism. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, this 2022 recap will bring you back to the heartfelt stories we've been hearing from our guests. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. This episode will give you a good idea of what Autism Knows No Borders is all about. In this episode, discover what's possible when we grow stronger together. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project and join our online community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. Episode 92 was one of our Global Autism Community monthly roundtable discussions. That month's theme was special interests. If you'd like to attend and participate in any of our future events, you can sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. In these next clips, self-advocates Jeff Snyder and Ryan Litchfield talk about their special interests. Fan fiction writing and what I do in blogging with going a distance allows me to express myself in ways that others may, may struggle with otherwise. And let's be real here. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of you out there that struggle with certain scenes or show endings that or movie endings that you really don't like or wish you could do better. Well, that's the thing with fan fiction is that when it comes to fan fiction, you can take what's displayed in front of you and just kind of make your turn your own spin on it. And just recently, um, two years ago, I started a continuation of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic because I, of course, I was, I was upset with the because, you know, I was sad the show was ending and I didn't like how the series finale played out. So in a way to kind of, you know, tweak things to my own image, as well as kind of keep the show going from my perspective, I created MLP season 10. And I also included more um, celebrity guest stars in this fan fiction series. One of the things... 
I hope in the future to do is expand on that, you know, to promote more awareness and advocacy to agencies. Because I think, you know, especially like I said um, a moment ago, you have more adults now, excuse me, on the autism spectrum that have probably just been diagnosed. You know, long time ago, people thought, oh, autism is just a childhood disorder. But now it's, as we've seen across the lifespan, it's affected a lot of different individuals and stuff. And I think, you know, one of the unique things about us as, you know, autism neurodiverse self-advocates is that we share our lived experiences. And sometimes those lived experiences can make all the difference for families and communities when you're promoting hope and strength. I think, you know, you give them insight into, you know, those experiences to make those, you know, tough decisions in life, whether it comes to like housing and finances and employment and college education and all of that. In episode 93, we brought you Dina Farmer, a certified autism travel professional and a mother to a young boy on the spectrum. Here's Dina talking about traveling with an autistic loved one. Travel shows that. It doesn't matter where you're at on the spectrum. Like being able to show the world that autism is real. It affects every demographic. It affects every single country. It affects every single gender. It does like, it doesn't matter. It's everybody has someone with autism or knows someone with autism. Um, and I feel like sh- getting out there in the world and showing that makes it, I don't want to say normal, but I guess that typical, like seeing autistic people out there functioning in the world just like everybody else because we're all the same at the end of the day. Um, and just bringing more awareness of that with just some simple accommodations like tourism suppliers can help families with an autistic loved one be able to travel easily and how can we be more inclusive to everybody as opposed to just only helping a tiny little pocket of people that (laughs) that travel. Martin Slingstad came on the show for episode 94. Martin is an autistic self-advocate, behavior specialist, and author. Here's Martin discussing why stimming should be allowed at school. I can't stress this enough to teachers to allow us to STEM. I mean, I know we could work on different types of STEM, like something that's less distracting, but I mean, I've tried STEMing in class once in middle school and I always got in trouble. Mm. And the most tough part about that is if we aren't allowed to STEM in a class setting, then all that anxiety builds up. And it's like when we get home, it's like when Mentos and Diet Coke meet up, you get that combustible stress and the parents are the ones that have to deal with it. And so I just feel if teachers allow us to stem in some way, it could help keep us calm during class time, but also we would be calm enough at home to where that anxiety really doesn't boil over into a meltdown. Episode 95 showcased Vidya Banerjee. Vidya is a mother of an adolescent autistic boy and the host of the podcast and blog, Autism Family Story. Listen to Vidya talk about some common misconceptions regarding augmentative and alternative communication, or AAC for short. 
the first and the most important misconception with AAC is that it hinders speech development. And this is totally wrong because there is research which has shown that AAC in fact promotes speech development. But the sad thing is there are many professional speech language pathologists and parents who don't want to give access to their child to the AAC fearing that their child is not going to speak. So that is the biggest misconception. They want their children to, I think, communicate verbally because somehow they think that their child communicating with the AAC device might hinder their verbal speech, one, and secondly, that it might make them look different Mm. communicating with an AAC device. I think that is what the parents are mostly worried for. But then in the process, what they are doing is that they are denying their child access to communicate because they need the robust communication system in order to develop the speech. So that is the biggest misconception. Episode 96 was a Global Autism Community Roundtable event about setting goals. Listen to self-advocate and public speaker Tom Island and community moderator Kia Burton share some of their tips and goals for the coming year. One goal I have is to make $60,000 a year coaching. And there are 12 months in the year. So that means I have to make $5,000 a month coaching. And there are four weeks in a month, which means I need to be making $1,250 a week depending on how many hours in a week I would like to work. I worked corporate 40 hours a week. That's no fun. So I'm going to say for simplicity purposes, I want to work 10 hours a week coaching people. So that means, and this is how I arrived at my hourly rate for 2022, I have to be charging 125 an hour to coach people if I want to work 10 hours a week to eventually arrive at 60 grand for the year. So see how I took something big, something you might not think is accomplishable, but by breaking it down to smaller steps and keep in mind that these are flexible. Last year was a big year for me for like career goals and I accomplished both of those. And this year is a bit more personal. I'm going to be a mom this year. So one of the goals I've set for myself is to go with the flow more, which is kind of crazy, right? Because when you set goals, you think about having a plan and I'm very type A, I'm a Capricorn. I really like to plan things out, but my goal is to be okay if plans deviate and kind of go with the flow more as I navigate this new world of being a mom and, you know, balancing personal and career and relationships and friendships. So yeah, that's kind of what I've just been thinking about going into this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. But yeah, I've had to kind of um, just take a step back and know that it's not going to all go as planned, right? (laughs) And, you know, it's okay to have plans, but you need to be okay with the deviations and the modifications and things like that. (laughs) And just enjoying each step of the process, no matter what it looks like. In episode 97, I was joined by Olivia Hopps. Olivia is an autistic self-advocate and the founder of Unbaked Bar, an online edible cookie dough shop. In this clip, Olivia describes how autism presents differently for females. 
the traits of autism present themselves normally. And of course, there's exceptions, but usually they present themselves differently in girls than they do boys. And on top of that, we can mask them so well. We learn how to adapt. And because we can mimic our peers so well that we appear to be just like any other girl our age. And usually we're very intelligent. So if we're doing good in school, there's no really a reason for a teacher to be like, well, there's nothing wrong with this girl. She's a straight A student like I was. There, No teacher ever thought anything. And it's just a bad combo because our traits are presented differently. And so many medical professionals are still kind of learning how autism presents itself in females. In episode 98, we brought Scott Edgar on the show. Scott is an autistic self-advocate and a voice actor. This is Scott telling his story and sharing his talents. My first talent show was when I was 10 years old, and I had no stage etiquette or experience, and it was my turn to come up. So instead of having the stage curtains open, I just walk right through the curtains, <laughs> and the crowd is loving it, and yet it was just, you know, probably just something that we just kept on going on. I was always known as that one guy every single year, even at new schools. And then you decided to study it more in college, got a degree in theater, right? That's right. Okay. Could you give us some samples of the voices you do? Well, I can do a pretty good Elmo if you'd like to hear it. Okay. I'm also happy being an autism knows no borders. <laughs> <laughs> that is really spot on. Thank you. Do you have another one? I can do Mickey Mouse, but I just hope that Disney doesn't try to buy, you know, autism knows no borders. If I okay. do it. <laughs> well, see my Mickey Mouse, the face of Walt Disney. I got to go now since I got to take over the world now. <laughs> <laughs> In episode 99, we hosted another global autism community roundtable discussion. That month's theme was dating and relationships. Here are self-advocates Mary Johnston and Taylor Duncan discussing their struggles of finding a partner. For me personally, I think dating an autistic person would be easier just because you're kind of like on the same level of like interests and you can kind of like relate to each other. But it can also be difficult because... Me as an autistic person, it's hard to understand people in general, let alone with other autistic people. There can be a lot of like clashing with like needs and wants because it can be hard looking at the person you're trying to be in a relationship with and be like, well, what do you want from me? And then they're kind of like, well, what do you want from me? That's kind of, in my opinion, the hardest thing is keeping up with constant communication that's just clear and easy to understand because I feel like. That's always been my biggest challenge. I don't know if it's other autistic people's, but I would also say like sometimes it can be a struggle like doing things that they want to do, like going to the movie theater, for example, or the mall because of like all the stimulation. So I think it's 
important to find middle ground and be like, instead of a movie theater, maybe we could do it like at home. Like we could watch a movie at home with like popcorn or something just to kind of make everyone happy. I've never been in a relationship nor really went on a date, but if I knew that there was someone out there that I knew had the same interest that I did, that I knew was in it to contribute in a half and half way to where we're contributing positively to each other, you know, like that chemistry. Those who I know would fulfill my needs and I could fulfill their wants and needs makes the best chemistry. And I would go anywhere in the world for that, anywhere in the world for that. Mm-hmm. After everything that I've had to go through as somebody on the spectrum that constantly faced rejection, it makes that one, whenever they come around, whenever she comes around in my case, it makes it all that more special because it's that opportunity that a lot of people have said that, no, it'll never happen. No, it, it can't be possible. No, you're out of your mind. No, you're delusional and all this other stuff. And for me, it's about finding the right one. I go anywhere possible for it. We celebrated episode 100 and 101 with a two-parter taking you on a SkillCore journey with Team Saudi Arabia. SkillCore is our volunteer program that gives professionals and self-advocates an opportunity to provide meaningful training to our partner autism centers around the world. In the next two clips, you'll hear SkillCore alumni Amber Furby and Corey Taylor share some of their takeaways during the trip. Sometimes I think like, and it's just different, right? Like just the way they live, whatever. But being here, I'm like, I empathize a little bit more like, wow, you, that has got to be such an adjustment, especially for people coming from this region, coming to the U.S. The way we do things, social construct and values and all that is so different. And that I didn't realize, like, that's got to be really difficult. I mean, on top of being away from your family and starting a life in a new country, like, the social norms and all these things, and we don't have, they don't have a Yasser overseas, you know, helping them and to navigate that. So that's what I've been thinking about a lot the last few days is like, wow, being an immigrant from the Middle East, from a country like this specifically, has got to come with so many challenges in the U.S. And more so that support system. That's yeah, more so what I meant was like, going alone with your kid with autism, families who are from our country have a hard enough time doing that. I felt like there was kind of three separate areas. The first one was kind of in Saudi, you know, having an effect on the community here, talking to that driver yesterday who was interested in it. You were talking to Sada about community outreach and how to do those sort of things. I mean, I guess I wasn't talking, but I heard about it and was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then us going to that college, there's a lot of little things that our group did that I think would influence the autistic community in Saudi Arabia. And then all of the, you know, Instagram, social media posts and things like that, that's to hopefully encourage other people to join the skill core movement, which will have a larger impact on the community in general. Also, I think my behavior in like seeking to understand more about your knowledge and like getting the list of podcasts to like really expand my understanding of like bodily autonomy and what actually autistic people are saying and making sure that whatever I'm practicing is in alignment with that. 
Episode 102 was a Global Autism Community Roundtable event about representation of autism in the media. Here's self-advocate Corbin Havener and community member Ben Sharif discussing how the entertainment industry can improve. To me, I think the biggest topic, say, in any medium is whether it's explicit or implied. So, like, implied would be like an autistic-coded character. Mm. Now, I think the implied autistic characters are generally more to like benefit a neurotypical audi- audience, for example. But if I'm looking at somebody like, I, I think the the implied ones are somebody that you know I can look at and see a little bit of myself in there. So, for example, you know I can explain like how this affects me, and you know some some of the mental benefits that it has. And it would allow someone like me to control that conversation as opposed to it being like explicit. And based on this uh, concept, one of my mom's favorite TV shows um, was always Criminal Minds because of the character Spencer Reed. It's not explicit that he's on the autism spectrum, but you know, he has some of the, but he has some traits, I guess, the social awkwardness. He's, um, he has the idemic memory, great with maps. And my mom really loved that show because Spencer Reed really reminds my mom a lot of me. And that's always a good connection to have. Personally, I think that, that I agree with what everybody's saying that, uh, and ultimately there's a lot, or there needs to be more diversity in the autistic characters and the stories that are presented. And I think that it's always better if these characters are nuanced. Whereas if, you know, autism isn't the sole aspect of their identity that the show focuses on, where it's intrinsic to their being, but it's not the entirety of their being. And those, uh, the characters that are more developed feel more authentic, generally. Going back to the show that Tom brought up, As We See It, which I watched recently, I commended for uh, hiring autistic actors in the three main roles and also centering, attempting to center a character who is a female Asian autistic, which is not commonly seen. It's not seen much in media of autistic women. Absolutely. And while I think the show does have its flaws, I I was grateful that that a character like that exists in a, a widely seen venue like Amazon, right? And there's obviously more work to be done, particularly with autistic people of color and autistic women. Autistic self-advocate and theater actress Grace Everett joined me for episode 103. Listen to Grace explain how she learned to unmask. It was a lot of the things that I wasn't doing, actually. It was more about the absence of some things and the presence of new things. It was the fact that I was no longer having to expend so much energy in order to socialize. It was the fact that I didn't feel like I had to constantly be so stiff and always be focused on here are all the things that you have to do in order to have an appropriate, quote, you know, appropriate conversation. And it was the fact that I started to feel so distinctly good when I wasn't 
obligated to do those things. And I was like, what's that about? Like, is everybody feeling this right now? Because I know everybody's like, I hate this pandemic. And I'm like, I hate this pandemic. But this is kind of a relief Mm. to be able to catch a break from all of this. And then I was like, huh, I don't think that's an everybody thing. I think that's just me. In episode 104, we honored the life of one of our most dedicated community members, David Sharif, who tragically passed away from an epileptic seizure earlier this year. David was a huge fan and contributor of this podcast, and I know that he would have been really excited about this highlights episode. In this clip, David reads a poem he wrote about his camp family. I want to read something that will have meaning for everyone and for others around me. This is my camp family. And my camp family has been my greatest family out of my normal family and the other supports that I've had. When I got mistreated in school for sharing my worldwide expeditions, my camp family was there. When I came home from school feeling heartbroken by the bullies trash talking what I love, my camp family was there. When I struggled with my examinations and got poor results, my camp family was there. When I was anxious about being admitted into my dream school, my camp family was there. When I got berated about my post-high school plans with the potential to achieve my goals, my camp family was there. When I had bad nightmares in darkness or good dreams under the lights, my camp family was there. When I lost my way towards being who I am and didn't know what to do, my camp family was there because they were there for me. In school, I had photos of them in my binders and in my lockers, and I kept all of them with me as a guide as to what should I do. I take the advice they gave me, and I also use that to live with what I'm going through. Episode 105 was a special anniversary episode celebrating two years of the podcast and one year of our global autism community. Here are Scott Edgar and Colleen Dorsey expressing what they've taken away from being members of our online platform. The reason why I thought I could join this organization is because I thought I could make a difference. If there is one thing I've definitely gotten out of this group, it's just having friends and family. One thing I've learned just from being here I'm not alone. A lot of these people here have gone through the same hoops and hurdles as I, as I have and jumped through the same rings of fire. I would just love if more people from around the world had an awareness of autism. And this place is the right place for you. If you want an autism family where we can all just love, laugh and cry and just be there for one another. The community in this space is beautiful and safe and welcoming, as well as educational and encouraging. My favorite part about the community is all of the amazing members and adults with autism that facilitate and lead each group and activity. I have learned so much from my autistic peers, and that is due to a large part of the connections I've made in the global autism community. For anyone listening and curious to why you should join this global autism community, I want to say this. Have you ever been so passionate about something and wanted everyone around you to truly understand it 
and believe in it with the power and passion and confidence that you do? Have you ever felt so strongly about something and wished others knew more or felt just as strong about it? I see this community as a place where you can have that conversation with the same strong passion and feel safe. It's truly a space where I just love to be and I want everyone that's truly passionate about autism and neurodiversity to come and just be themselves and be ready to learn. In episode 106, I spoke with Andrew Arbo. Andrew is an autistic self-advocate and the founder of Driving with Autism. This is Andrew explaining how to limit sensory overload while driving. One thing I will say is if someone like is having a really bad day and start getting emotional on that, it does not hurt. Like just park somewhere, a uh, gas station, somewhere safe, obviously. But just a parking lot, like I care less it's a CBS or a warm of a Walgreens. And just give yourself the time. Like if you're not gonna give yourself time, not gonna give yourself time to go over that, um, well, the old aspect will be pretty well, it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So just kind of giving someone enough time. Like even at my work, I actually stay a bit further, not because of work, but just kind of for me, just kind of just kind of chill. Like I may watch some uh, YouTube videos, let's say dash cam videos. Sounds kind of productive, I know, but I've been a little behind and also can show me a thing or two. So that's, a, that's, that's kind of one thing. This kind of gets giving someone enough time to kind of with their body kind of like, okay, okay, I did my work. I have some West time. Okay, let's do this. Episode 107 featured Richard Schreiber. Richard is the father of an autistic teenage girl and the founder of New York City's Autism Community Group. In this clip, Richard explains what becoming the father of an autistic child has taught him. When you have a child that's on the autism spectrum, you learn that you have to become their fierce advocate, which means leave no stone unturned, uh, examine every conceivable outlet, direction, solution, talk to as many people as, as many parents. It almost becomes more than a right of privilege. It becomes your life. On one hand, it's incredibly rewarding because it's given me personally a higher calling that I'm not so sure I ever would have realized because um, my wife and I now have extended our interest beyond just our daughter because we want other daughters and sons of families on the autism spectrum to have access to some of the solutions that we have and some of the solutions that we've discovered are out there that are holistic and innovative and tech-oriented that can really, really help families. In episode 108, I had the pleasure of speaking with Emily Varen. Emily is a board-certified behavior analyst and a sleep specialist. Here's Emily explaining why we shouldn't set alarm clocks to wake up. What happens with adults is that, and, and this is adults on the autism spectrum or, you know, just working adults, is when we truncate, when we slice off that morning sleep by waking up to an alarm, you know, let's say we've been up all night on our iPads or gaming or whatever it is we're doing, enjoying ourselves till late at night till we finally fall asleep, let's say. And then we have to wake up 
to an alarm in the morning, we are actually robbing ourselves of the opportunity for those memories, for those skills, for all that daytime stuff that we experienced yesterday to actually consolidate and be sorted through and actually be carried through the next day. So we really need those last hours of sleep. And unfortunately, what happens is we end up slicing those off. Those are the hours we are less likely to achieve. And those hours are the most important for emotional regulation and memory consolidation. In episode 109, I was joined by two behavior analysts, Anne Byrne and autistic self-advocate Brian Middleton, also known as the bearded behaviorist. In these clips, Brian and Anne talk about the use of contingent electric skin shock at the Judge Rotenberg Center and how the field of ABA can do better. The legal limit in the United States of America for a taser or stun gun is 5 milliamps. The least powerful device that Judge Rotenberg Center uses is 30 milliamps. The most powerful device that Judge Rotenberg uses is is 90 milliamps. Death occurs at 100 milliamps. That is consistently been the case. Now, some people can survive that, of course, um, and there's other conditions too. And then there's other things that come into it, like resistance. Uh, Skin resistance is a factor that they keep on saying, well, you know, it's skin resistance that you're not taking that into account. And resistance basically means that it, it reduces the power because it's going through a material, in this case, skin, that resists the electrical current and thus reduces the power through resistance. But Tasers do that too, and it's really painful. And you lose muscle control, and your body tenses up, and people have died from tasers. And then when you add in the fact that this person has to carry this device around with them 24-7, the fact that there's one of five electrodes strapped to their body, where when that button is pushed, it will randomly deliver the shock to one of those portions of the body. When you add in the fact that it is documented that these devices will fire at random, and they even have a little name that they give for it, which I blocked from my memory because it's just horrifying, but that some survivors have talked about how employees laughed about how it was a misfire, or well, they must have done something in their mind, you know, jokes like that. Just that is torture. Just that, according to the UN, according to all things that are good when we talk about humanity, that is torture. Our science has improved, and that does not excuse the harm that has been done in the past. And I would also add that prevents us from doing more harm in the future, because when you know better, you have an obligation to do better. I think that the, what we have learned in the science allows us to do much better. And way better than this, way better than contingent electric shock. And so the Judge Rotenberg Center has continued to use contingent electric shock when asked if they've used other methodologies. They've said, oh, they take too long or they haven't been effective. And when asked why they continue to use a contingent electric shock, it's again, you know, not only do we not understand about electricity, we also don't understand how severe these behaviors are. We don't understand how desperate these parents are. You know, I'm aware of my personal biases. I know that I work with a subset of this population. I know that I am neurotypical. 
I know that my experience is not everyone's experience. But if you are using the constant example of we use this in situations where the behaviors are life-threatening, and that's always the example that you use, but you're also using the, the methodology when the behaviors aren't life-threatening, you're not telling the whole story. And so I think that a lot of behavior analysts are having trouble speaking out against this because the information is misleading. And that concludes part one of our 2022 Highlights episode. I hope this trip down memory lane left you feeling inspired to create change in your own community. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and come back next week to finish this year with part two of our highlights. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.